Hour number two, Canuck Central. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah with you in the Kintech studio. You can always text into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Marcus and Gibson saying, uh, take Kuzmenko for the Richard. <laughs> hey, why not? I'm sure you get lots of juice on it. You get good odds on it, so do it. Look, I've already said I can't see Kuzmenko getting to 40 this year. To think he might score 60, that's that's a, it's a stretch. It's a bridge too far for me. <laughs> Maybe a couple bridges too far. <laughs> 60, like it, it just feels like we're going to get 60 goals every single year uh, in the National Hockey League now. Uh, all right. We'll get back into the Canucks conversation and uh, bring in our next guest. It is Ian Mendez uh, with the Athletic NHL. Thanks for this, Ian. How are you? Hey guys, doing great today. How are you? Uh, we're doing uh, we're doing fantastic. Getting ready for the uh, the big season to start. Um, you know, I know uh, you're covering the Ottawa Senators regularly and uh, the NHL abroad uh, at uh, at the Athletic. Uh, what do you, what do you think of uh, the Canucks this year? They still seem like a a team that's got some uh, some climbing to do up the standings. They do, but like they're one of those teams. That I think they just have too much talent to be, you know, too far out of it, right? Like, yeah. like, and I love that core. I think whatever happens with Elias Peterson, to me, like that might be. I know a lot of our uh, oxygen goes towards like a William Nylander and guys like that, but boy, uh, seeing what happens with uh, with with PD there in Vancouver is huge. Like, I think um, it's to me, it's almost like if he buys in and signs long-term, I feel like, okay, that's an endorsement. That's been a good season or it's going to be a good season and away we go. And if he doesn't, it's almost like, is it time to kind of, kind of rebuild a little bit and start from scratch. So they're a, they're a super compelling team to me. I, I, I think Quinn Hughes is um, tremendously uh, probably undervalued outside of your market. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that think he's a, uh, you know, one dimensional or whatever, but I, I mean, I just, I love this guy. I think he's uh, cause I think, you know, the Eastern conference I think there's like the eight teams that made the playoffs last year, plus Ottawa, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, maybe to some extent Washington, but Detroit, like they all think that they could or should be playoff teams. There's like, like, there's like 12 or 13 teams that probably feel like they could be playoff teams. Whereas I look at the, like the, the Western conference. I feel like it's a little bit more wide open. Like there's, there's, I think there's a little bit more room there um, in both those divisions for, for a little bit of flexibility for a team like Vancouver. Um, whereas maybe I wouldn't love their chances in the East. I, I think the West is a little bit, a little bit weaker. And I, I, I do think that, that they could potentially be a playoff team if everything, if everything falls right for them. Well, I think it's interesting because some of the Canadian teams, I think have the most at stake this season. You mentioned Vancouver, of course, because you're right. Like if this year, you know, goes completely sideways, I think it's more than Elias Pettersson's future. That's going to be a big question mark here in Vancouver. Then you look at Calgary, it seems like half their roster is about to be UFA and who knows what happens yeah. with them. Right. And, and then, and then the club you, you cover very closely. I think we're all looking at it and saying, okay, this is a team with a very bright future. You know, when, what is, what happens when the ownership kind of put, comes together. But I think some of the Canadian teams have the biggest questions out of all the NHL teams this upcoming season. Yeah, and, and that's not even just a function of the, uh, you know, the advanced media coverage on yeah. Spotlight or all of them, but like legitimately, uh, I, I think Winnipeg mm-hmm. is another team where you're like, where are they going? Like, where where's Shifley going to be? Where's Hellebuck going to be six, eight, ten months from now? And and Toronto's got Nylander, uh, like you said, Patterson in Vancouver. Uh, I think Lindholm and, and, and that group in, in Calgary, there's a lot of questions about where they're all headed. It's going to be interesting. And yeah, in Ottawa, the funny thing is for the first time, and, and I've been on your station for years, and so many times when I would join you guys in the past would be, 
oh, can Ottawa hang on to this guy? Can can they convince this guy to stay, right? Stone, Carlson, Torres, Pajot, Duchesne, pick your guy. And now all of a sudden, like, I think you can make an argument that in terms of roster stability, Ottawa might have the most roster stability in in Canada. Uh, in terms of, like, your core locked up, you know, Sanderson eight years, or well, technically nine years if you have this year, uh, you know, Brady Kachuk's in long-term, Shabbat's in long-term, uh, Stutzler's in long-term, Norris is in long-term, Batherson, like, go down the list. Like, they don't have one of these uh, Elias Patterson, Lindholm, Shifley uh, situations brewing here. And it's, it's a refreshing change in this market. And it's, uh, yeah, is, is dying to see here is, is a little bit of stability. It's, uh, it, it's wild because um, not only that, but we're so, sort of seeing a bit of a shift Ian, where some star players around the league are maybe looking at shorter term deals because, you know, they think the cap might go up. They can increase their career earnings or at least uh, the ceiling of what their career earnings could be. But Pierre Dorian, this this might be some of the best work that he's done is being able to get these young stars. Jake Sanderson, the latest one to do it on the eight year term deal. Yeah, like like for all like, look, and Pierre Dorian, it's very much like Jim Benning was. Uh, in Vancouver, where if you're going to be a general manager of a team for an extended period of time, you are absolutely in, in a hockey mad market. You are going to end up with a lot of uh, a criticism, and you're going to have a lot of pluses, and you're going to have a lot of minuses, kind of pros and cons. And I look, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the cons of, of Pierre Dorian. I will give this man a little bit of credit in that he signed up like like Sanderson to me at eight eight times eight is a great signing. I know he's not kind of offensively, he might not pop in the same way as Quinn Hughes, but I'm telling you in 18 months from now, two years from now, you're going to look back and say, wow, I can't believe Ottawa got Jake Sanderson for 8 million a year. That's a bargain. Just like you're saying, I can't believe they got Tim Stutzler for 8.35 because last year, a lot of eyebrows raised outside of this market. People saying, wow, you went in on Tim Stutzler at eight times 8.35. This guy doesn't have, you know, the resume and the track record, you're betting. And and Pierre Dorian, for all of his missteps with the Pajos and the Tourists and the Carlsons and the Stones and all of those guys, has done a rather effective job of locking up uh, this core of guys. And this core of guys, they, they all believe in in the group. And, and, it, and it's a domino effect. So when Shabbat says, I'm in for eight years, and Kachuk says, I'm in for seven years, and Norris says, I'm in for eight, as Stutzler says, I'm in for eight. You know, they're all kind of looking at Jake and saying, look, at, we're all in for eight. What are you going to do? And and they've created that culture. And, and, and I give them credit because in other markets, you haven't seen that culture. And I think that's a culture that's been established by the players. And I give them a ton of credit for all taking a little bit less money and saying, if we want to win, we probably have to take a little bit less, but let's do it because we all like each other. Well, and usually if you make the right bet on these guys, well a few years down the road and my, my, I guess my biggest question around the Ottawa Senators isn't really so much about making these bets on these guys I think it makes sense especially with how the salary cap is built and these second contracts essentially becoming long-term deals now in the NHL for the players that have a level of talent it's is how stable will the organization be once the sale to Michael Anlauer does go down and do we see the same front office be there long term yeah stability has not been a word that we've used often in this market. Uh, consistency, uh, stability, uh, calmness. Like, these are the things that you really value, I think, 
in ownership in the National Hockey League. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, I think, to me, are the model citizen, right? Tampa Bay, uh, you, you, there's a good chance that 90% of the people listening to us right now in the lower mainland, you can't picture what Jeff Vinnick looks like. You have no idea because he's just a quiet owner. And, and that's what you need sometimes, just a quiet, stable owner. And we didn't have that for the better part of two decades under uh, you know, the stewardship of Eugene Melnick. I, I think there was, there was uh, tension there was negativity. There was just this sort of negative cloud that hovered over the team. And Mike Anlauer is going to come in here. And I think a lot of that is going to be uh, evaporate. Uh, it's going to evaporate in a rather fast uh, fashion. And, and I think that's a good thing. And so um, obviously it's going to take some time for him to, I think, to really put his fingerprints on this team. But given where we're coming from, uh, the, the levels of sort of ineptitude that I think that uh, have, have permeated every, uh, you know, part of this organization uh, to see that go away is going to be very exciting. I think for the fan base here. So uh, is this the year they get back to the playoffs? Well, I think if you were asking me like just straight up, are they good enough to make the playoffs? Are the auto centers good enough to make plus? I think roster wise. Yes, absolutely. I think they're good enough to make the playoffs. The issue for them is going to be, uh, you know, the, the factor out of their control is there's only eight seats at the table. And those eight teams that made the playoffs last year, a lot of them look like they're going back this year. New Jersey looks like they're going back. Carolina looks like they're going back. Boy, the Rangers look pretty good. Uh, then you go to the other conference. It's hard to say. Look, I know Boston is going to take a step back from a 65-win, 136-point season. But is that a 40-point, uh, you know, regression? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, Tampa Bay, like, it's hard to find. Like, Find me the two or three teams are gonna that are you can definitively say are gonna miss, mm-hmm. and that Pittsburgh, Ottawa, and Buffalo, all of whom have I think legitimate uh, playoff aspirations, are going to go in. That's going to be the issue for Ottawa. Is that I think the the competition in the Eastern Conference is fierce. Uh, I think, like I said earlier, twelve or thirteen teams I think uh, are, are going into training camp with legitimate aspirations of being not not Stanley Cup contenders per se, but certainly uh, playoff uh, caliber clubs. And that's going to be the issue is, is how do you get yourself into a, uh, like a hyper-competitive top eight? And like I said, I think the Western Conference is a little bit, little bit more open for some of those uh, Calgary, Vancouver, Winnipeg, uh, maybe even, even maybe to some extent the St. Louis type of teams that like if everything falls their way, they could be playoff teams. I don't see that in the East. I, I think you, you have to have a playoff caliber roster if you're going to, to make it, and I think Ottawa has it, but this is going to be a really, really, it's going to be tough sliding for them to get in. I mean, it's just a, it's such a difficult conference, like you mentioned, to try to break in. I mean, you might be able to get like 93, 94 points and still miss the playoffs. That's how competitive that that conference could be this upcoming season. There's still a, a pretty important player, or at least a guy who had a very good uh, campaign uh, as a rookie with the Ottawa Senators, or uh, yeah, as a rookie, I guess he was still a rookie despite being his third season, I guess, technically in NHL, is Shane Pinto. We get somebody texting into our show, Ian, pretty much every day asking us, what's going on with Shane Pinto? Is he going to get signed or is somebody going to trade for him? Uh, considering what the cap situation is like for the Ottawa Senators, is there a shoe that has to drop here for Pinto to get signed? Yeah, there is a shoe because if you look at the the, the cap situation for Ottawa with the $83.5 million cap, they only have about $900,000, ballpark $900,000 to play with under the cap. And Shane Pinto, I think a really good comparable for him would be Morgan Frost from Philly. And Morgan Frost signed a two-year uh, 2.1 AV, right? So if you use that as a rough kind of guesstimate for what Shane Pinto deserves on the open market two times two, 
they don't have the room for it. They got to clear out about a million, million to in salary to make room for Shane Pinto. So there absolutely has to be another shoe to drop. Pierre Dorian spoke at an event today in Ottawa, and he did say that he's working hard. He's hoping to get Pinto in uh, at camp uh, next week. Here's the problem for Shane Pinto. He doesn't really have leverage because as an RFA, he's a he's that rare. I think the designation is a type 10 C UFA, mm-hmm. uh, RFA, and not to get too bogged down in the collective bargaining agreement, but that means you don't have enough games played to earn offer sheet uh, from, from another club, and you don't have arbitration rights. So essentially what that means is you're not going anywhere, and you can't, like, you don't even hold a little hammer in your back pocket if you're Shane Pinto. So that's the unfortunate thing. they got to get him done, guys. He is the number three center on this team. He's a very popular guy. He's a, he's a core member of this team. They, he scored 20 goals last year. They can't go into camp and not have Shane Pinto. Maybe you can go a couple of days. You can't start playing exhibition games and certainly regular season games without the number three centerman in your uh, organization uh, in in the fold. One of your uh, one of your latest pieces up uh, at the Athletic is uh, talking about some of the uh, maybe under the radar moves of the off season, and uh, it was a it was a mostly silent off season. Ian, there wasn't a ton of big moves. I guess uh, you know we had the uh, the Debrinkat trade, and then later in the summer we had the Eric Carlson trade, but. We got two big trades between July and August. Yeah, you know, we, we had something. But the one trade I, I almost forgot about when I was reading through your piece was Damon Severson to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, Columbus right. has been in the, in the news for a lot of reasons this week, but it, you have to go way back to prior to the draft to uh, remember the Damon Severson trade. I completely forgot about it. And, like, I, you know, the, the, the premise of the article was simply, hey, like, all of us, like you said, we remember Carlson and Luke. Pierre-Luc Dubois and, and Alex Dubrinkit and, uh, you know, Patrice Bergeron retiring. Like, we all remember the big, big stories from the offseason. What we don't seem to remember sometimes are those little trades, right? Like those little mm-hmm. middle-of-the-pack, oh, Anthony Duclair's in San Jose. Wow, I forgot about that. And, and for me, Damon Severson. Like, Damon Severson's a nine-year vet and, you know, a staple for, for New Jersey, 600-some-odd games, and he priced himself out of that doubles uh, uh, franchise, right? Like, he, he just – they've done a great job there, but – he, he got he got uh, to the point where he simply priced himself out. And Columbus, you know, remember Columbus picked up Ivan Provorov and uh, and him in in the off season. And you're like, wow, Columbus, like you said, very odd, uh, very odd uh, part of the news cycle for them in the last uh, uh, a day or two. But um, uh, it's intriguing to me because Damon Severson's a legitimate top four defenseman in 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 the National Hockey League, and I completely forgot that he changed teams uh, up until I, I, I did all the research of going back and looking at all these kind of uh, middle of the pack, mid, mid moves of, uh, of the off season. Uh, before we let you go, uh, based off your article, there was one guy I saw in your article and I did a fist bump because he's one of my favorite signings, or at least under the radar signings was Max Pacioretty going to the yeah. Washington Capitals for 2 million. And listen, who knows what his status, right? He had a couple years of injuries now or whatever. And we know the Capitals have kind of been uh, a bit uneven, but, I don't know. Under the radar, if they get healthy next year, Patch Reddy finds his game a little bit. I, I, I really like that signing for Washington. Yeah, and I, look, Patch Reddy's a guy that has been, you know, you, you get a season in which you lose, uh, you know, basically the whole season, not to one, but two Achilles injuries, right? And there's going to be a lot of questions around you. But I'll tell you what, on, on Max Patch if you go back to the last kind of three-ish seasons, and I know that he has, doesn't have a huge sample size, he's scoring at a at a half a goal a game rate, which is still pretty darn elite in the National Hockey League. I think it, that would put him 12th 
in that span. And, and again, he doesn't have the same sample size. But when he's healthy, he is a very consistent goal scorer. Like, like, I, like if he can play 65 or 70 games this year, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility he can score 25 or 30 goals. Um, I think he's that good. Uh, so you get a guy like that, like, that might score 25 or 30 goals for you for $2 million. Like, that's, that's a pretty darn good uh, piece of business by uh, the you might have to do a double take. You're like, mm, Carolina? Nope. Uh, Vegas? Nope. And it's like, oh, he signed in, signed in Washington. And, and, and it's a smart move. Uh, again, that, that's a team in the Eastern Conference that, yeah, they missed the playoffs last year. But prior to that, what did they make the playoffs in? Ten straight years, nine straight years, or at least it felt like it. Um, I don't think that when you have Alex Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom and, and some of those pieces that you're necessarily just bowing out of the playoff picture. I think you want to be in there. And, and, and Pacioretty is absolutely, uh, if he comes back, I think the plan is November at some point. He comes back and plays 65, 70 games. Boy, he could, he could tip the scales for, uh, for Washington for sure. Senior writer at The Athletic and co-host of The Athletic NHL podcast, it's Ian Mendez. Thanks for this, Ian. Yeah, you got it, guys. Anytime. Have a great night. Uh, at Ian underscore Mendez joining us here on, uh, on Canuck Central. It's... Um, yeah, the Capitals made the playoffs eight straight years prior to missing it this past season. Yeah, and the Penguins missed too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the Penguins have a better chance of getting back than the Capitals do, but uh, that's just my early projection on yeah, it. Yeah, I... Yeah. You're not sold on the Penguins? I don't know if I'm not sold on the Penguins. I think the Penguins are, are fine. I just... I look at the Penguins and I'm like, man, they spent a lot of capital on a very old team. Yeah. And they tied themselves... like. They're kind of stuck. Like this is their roster now for the next four years. Yep. Come hell or high water, this is your team. They they did some good things, but also Kyle Dubas spent a lot to um, upgrade that roster in the places that they did. And is it going to be enough? Uh, I got questions. But um, the Ottawa Senators and now there's a story today from uh, Andrew Peters who covers uh, the Buffalo Sabers. Obviously, used to play for them as well, but. Um, Mentioning the Rasmus Dahlin contract negotiation and how he's looking for five years and the Buffalo Sabres want eight years. We saw Austin Matthews sign four years with the Leafs. We're hearing Elias Pettersson may want to sign short term with his next deal with the Vancouver Canucks. And then there's the Ottawa Senators who managed to get Brady Kachuk on a seven-year deal. They got Tim Stutzla to sign eight years. They got Thomas Shabbat to sign eight years. And now they got Jake Sanderson to sign eight years. And they got Josh Norris to sign seven years as well. All young players coming out of their entry-level contracts, a certain level of risk taking on by signing those contracts as early as they did. But, I mean, you look at the Stutzla contract, it's not going to be too long before we're talking about that. I mean, we already are talking about that as maybe one of the best contracts in the league. Same with Brady Kachuk. Um, it, it's pretty good work from Pierre Dorian to get all these guys to sign such long-term deals. Well, and it is a lot easier, though, to get these guys signed after their entry-level contracts because yes. you you're throwing that money in front of them, you know, having played one or two seasons. When they've some, made three, maybe. Like three, maybe, depending if they hit their bonuses, like five, six million. Yeah, and then all of a sudden here's like, here's here's 60 million, here's yeah. 55 million. You here's, know, it's, it's yeah. pretty hard to turn down, and that's where the opportunity lies, right? And it's good Vancouver got Quinn signed to a six-year deal, and we spoke about this with Pedersen, too, and it's you can look at it two ways and say, okay, well, you sign him to a bridge deal, and if you sign him to an eight-year contract once the bridge deal ends, well, now you have 11 years of control. And that's not a bad way of looking at it, unless the player doesn't want to sign an eight-year contract. Yeah. And I've we talked we've been talking about this a long time. Total money is what matters. Yes. Unless you get to a point where the money on a four-five-year deal is so significant, it's worth doing it. Case in point, Austin Matthews. He's getting 60 million over five years. Yep. 
at, I mean, if you're getting 60 over eight, you're getting it over five, sign me up. Yes. And I'm sure that's what Dawdling looks at. He says, well, I'd rather do 10 and a half over five. That's 50, that's 52 million, 52 and a half, 53 million. Okay, let's do that. And in five years, I'm a free agent. Maybe that's something that Pedersen looks at. Guys won't do those deals yeah. if they can get eight years, if the number is seven or eight. But if you can get 10 to 11 per year over five, I mean, that's what happens in the NBA too. And you even see Major League Baseball. It's like, okay, I'm willing to sign a shorter term contract if my AAV is super high. Yes. If you're giving me a lot of money, I can, I can go, I can bypass the 20 million in total money if I'm making 55 or 60 million in five years and then have another chance for another contract afterwards. Like Matthews didn't ever have to skimp. Uh, you know, yeah. you know, he signed five years, uh, his contract coming out of his ELC and still got 11.6 million, which is wild. Like the Leafs did not get any kind of a discount, even though they didn't get Matthews on the full max term. And, you know, is, is that Matthews sort of changing the economics of the National Hockey League to a certain extent? It might be, but only I think for the truly truly elite player. I think if you're still a second or third tier type of star, like even Tim Stutzla, he hadn't really popped yet when the Ottawa Senators threw him the 64 million or 68 million, whatever it comes out to be. Um, And when that happens, you know, it's a little bit harder to turn away from 60 million bucks. Mm -hmm. But if you are Matthews and you feel pretty comfortable, you're not too worried about, uh, a catastrophic injury coming down your way, which is always possible, but I think maybe less possible than we've made it out to be in the past for some of these star players. The thing about it is when you are looking at the salary cap and where it's going to go and it's trending up, there's talk today from Darren Dreger that the next expansion team may cost $2 billion. That seems wild to me, probably an overprojection, mm. but the revenues of the NHL... <laughs> are trending up. Well, they are. And that means the salary cap ceiling is going up. If you're signing another big deal in four years from now, guess what? 15, 16% of the cap in four years might be 15, 16 million bucks because the ceiling of the cap might be a hundred million dollars. And and this is where it comes down to being the elite level player. So Austin Matthews signed a five-year extension for 58.19 million. Yeah. This next contract's a four-year deal worth $53 million. So over these nine years where he signed two contracts, he's making $111 million. Yeah. Crazy. Right? So it's, it's way more than he would have gotten signing an eight-year deal. Not everybody can be in that position. Mm-hmm. And that's to your point why it's hard. That's why usually you throw total money in front of people. They will sign it in the National Hockey League unless unless you're at this level. And when if you are if teams are willing to give AAVs of eleven million over five to four years, then I can understand why Rasmus Dalvin wants to push for a four or five year deal. Yeah. You know, like you don't want to do that if if it's like seven or eight million even because you're bypassing so much uh potential earning on it. But if you're getting the same number of an eight year deal over four or five and you're that level of player because even if even if uh, Matthews had some injury problems because of his issue because of his pedigree and because of his reputation, someone's going to still throw him a lot of money once his next contract ends. Yeah, and he's still going to be uh, just under thirty when he uh, goes to sign that next contract. Pretty remarkable for uh, uh, Austin Matthews, and pretty remarkable that Pierre Dorian is getting these guys to sign long term deals with the Ottawa Senators. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.